shall step away from the painting. Uh, let's see. Ooh, all right. Oh, yeah. One of my old books, To Awaken an Old Heartbeat. Man, I barely remember the time surrounding writing this thing. Let's see. Page 103. I'm sitting in the deep white porcelain tub drinking a glass of red absinthe that I mixed with port wine that arrived today. I did not start that correctly. It's been a long time since I've read this. Shit, let me take a very deep breath. Um, take a sip of something. Mm -hmm. oh. Bad Dana, bad Dana. Here we go. Time to get in character. Let's put this blue on this canvas here first. First we'll put the blue paint, what is this, thalo blue, on the surreal canvas that we have no fucking idea where it's going. And that's perfectly okay. Hence why we fall down the rabbit hole. <laughs> that may very well be the worst junior child ever. Alright, let's let you dry. Try this reading thing again. <clears throat> All right. I'm sitting in the deep white porcelain tub, drinking a glass of red absinthe that I mixed with port wine that arrived today. She sits in the corner reading Charles Bukowski until I tell her to write something down. Tom Waits drifts out of the stereo, resting on the back of the toilet while white vanilla and black cherry candles are on top of the crate. Overall, the entire setting makes me slide down into the hot water with a deep, satisfying moan. Simplistic pleasures with no burden. Did I ever tell you I bought this bathtub from the people that currently own my grandparents' house? No, you didn't. I used to take Crisco and grease the entire tub then take my Hot Wheels and zip them around the sides. Man, those suckers would fly! I take a drink of absinthe. The next person to take a bath would want to kill me because the water would have a greasy sheen to it. Eventually, Grandma made me stop doing it. But by then, I had a big Chewbacca and that game with Jaws where you had to take all of the garbage out of its mouth before it slammed shut. Sort of like Operation, only with a shark. Eventually, I lost all the garbage that went in Jaws, and basically it was Jaws and Chewbacca would do battle in the bathtub. She smiles. You do realize that I wasn't even born yet? She returns to Bukowski. I sink beneath the water, doing the Jaws music deep in my throat. Boo-boomp, boo-boomp, boo-boomp. I grow frightened that someone will take my ghost away from me. I say as I sit up and wipe the water from my eyes. Never looking up, she doesn't miss a beat, but writes down what I said and returns to her book. Don't say you love me. Don't say you need me. Don't say a single word to me that I don't want to hear. I'm never really sure if you will take what I'm saying the wrong way. So don't say you love me. Don't say you need me. 
Words written down, she returns to the book, never looking up. Don't say that I am wrong. Don't say. Don't say. Just stay here long enough to hold on to this moment. Close enough that the next time you see yourself in my eyes, you will want to stay a little longer. Words written down returns to reading. I know I need to decide between laughter and suffering, desire and pleasure, love and lust, no matter the decision. I will not keep up with what you believe in, and I won't keep up with this laughter just to keep you comfortable. Writes, returns, she sits up. Hey, here's one. She holds the Bukowski book higher to read better. My father, he carried a piece of carbon, a blade and a whip, and at night he feared his head and covered it with blankets until one morning in Los Angeles it snowed, and I saw the snow, and I knew that my father could control nothing. I ask her to read it once more as I sink lower in the tub, humming the Jaws music again as I do. Beneath the waters with my eyes closed, I can hear the beat of the music from the radio, and her voice is like one of the Furies singing solo to me, hinting that if she can get away from her sisters, that perhaps she may want to spend an eternity with me as she calls me closer to the rocks. I love the feeling as I see the beginning of a painting swirling behind my eyes, and then the faint music of a story begins. I sit up and rest my head on the side of the tub and stare at her. She smiles at me and puts the book aside. She lights another candle, refills both of our glasses, and then walks over to the edge of the tub. She unties the white silk sarong and it falls silently to the floor. Her olive skin seems almost unreal against the black thong that always fits perfectly on her hips. The end of her long hair breaks the surface of the water as she bends at the hips and slides the black cloth from her hips and falls to the floor next to the sarong. She keeps the white t-shirt of mine on which she has confiscated as hers. On the left breast in small print reads, Shy Guy. Underneath that in smaller print, with a big dick. <laughs> A gift from a friend just to start shit when I was out in public. It's her favorite shirt to wear when we are working. I don't mind. It is from an earlier time, a more arrogant time of mine. The music in me was much louder back then. One foot comes up over the edge of the tub and tests the heat of the water. Satisfied, she steps in and slowly slides down. Releasing a deep moan, she leans back and slides down into the water. I lean back and let my hand caress her leg. As I hum, oop, I burped. I'm so sorry. Oh, don't you hate when that happens? Damn, I'm so sorry. I should probably do editing things here, but we both know I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Dang it, Jim, I lost it. Oh. Thank God I wasn't on a... Ah, ee. Shit is falling over here. Pixies are taking over my studio. I don't know what's going on. Drinks are falling. The light shade is... My God, man! It is a higgledy-piggledy mess in here.
I must have forgotten to pay tribute to the Pixies or something, and they decided to let me know what was going on. Fucking hell, they're on, I lost it. All right, I only had like two paragraphs left. Let me see if I can... I was rather enjoying reading that thing. Um, right, okay, here it is. I leaned back and let my hand caress her leg as I hummed the Jaws music and smile. Before him, she forgot there was a fire deep inside of her. The flame had dwindled to a distant spark in the darkness that only gave her warmth in very brief moments when she was alone and was sure no one would see or feel it. He was like a gentle breath that gave it fuel. The heat spread, the light growing more and more bright until it became a sun and her now pounding heart. It pushed the darkness back where it belonged. Hmm. Man, I really enjoy this book. Uh, can't remember which number this is of mine, like the sixth or seventh book of poetry. There was nobody in my life at this time, but it was like I was embracing every woman I've ever known and respect, or every woman I want to meet and know and respect. I was like writing to the capital woman, I do believe. Here on the back of the book, I always like putting poems on the back of my covers. It's like a little extra bonus or something. And here's this one. <laughs> there are loved ones. There are ones that love to be loved while they try and find a definition for themselves. There are ones that never find another one. There are those that love to hurt the one they say they love because it is all they know to do. There are lost ones. There are those that claim they are lost but know the road they should take but don't. There are ones that stay lost. There are those that are lost and hurt the ones they love because it is all they know to do. Okay. Well, that's enough of the deep stuff right now. Let's move back to this painting and I'll tell you all a joke or something. Uh, let's stumble a little bit further down the rabbit hole here. and uh, Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. I showed up. You knew I was going to. Scooter McGee! Ex-Dragon Hunter! Yep, that's me! <laughs> I'm one of the favorite characters that pops up. I'm a shitload of fun because I'm totally batshit crazy. Yep, 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 yep. I used to be a dragon hunter way back in the day. Although I never really did ever find a dragon. You know, that didn't matter, I was still a dragon hunter. So lots of amazing things, you know, got stories about it, when I can remember them. <laughs> oh man, I can only do that voice for so long anymore. He's one of my favorites. That was, uh, I had something funny to tell you. I can't remember what it was now. Squirrel! Alright, well right, so I'm gonna contemplate the, uh, what mental state I was in. When I wrote to awaken an old heartmate, and I'm gonna sit here and work on this painting, and I thought I was gonna stop the recording, but apparently I'm just gonna keep rambling to you as I fall deeper into my world. 
always love me some Bob Ross, even though I don't technically paint happy trees. I'm more of an abstract kind of guy now, with some poems on it. I do respect Mr. Ross's love for art and his concepts. There are no mistakes. There are only happy accidents. I need some white. You racist son, bitch. No, really, I need white on the painting. What color is this? Ah, unbleached titanium. Here we go. Alrighty. It might make the poo sound. Hang on. Yep, sure did. <laughs> I like doing that. I like it when my paint tubes are almost empty. And I can give them the old squeegee squeegee on the canvas. And they make that funny fart noise. Because fart noises are funny. I don't care who you are. All right, I am now looking. Oh, I'm looking for a scrapey scrapey. Because I just squeezy squeezied on my canvas. Boy, I should probably never say that again. <laughs> and now we just give a little mm, and a little ah. Might be time for some music, a music interlude for the podcast. Although the music I'm going to listen to, I'm quite certain that I will not be allowed to play for you for some sort of copyright thingy. Don't know. I'm new at this podcast thingy. Thingy is a professional term, by the way, folks. In case you're taking notes about all this stuff. Okay. Well, that changed the dynamics. We're pulling the scrapey thingy up across the canvas. And it's changing the dimensions. Okay, I think I'm about to get the hiccups. And I don't think you should hear them. So, music interlude thingy. Uh, I'll give you something to think about before I go. Um, Keep searching for the music between the music. Keep trying to find the notes between the notes. Your vibe attracts your tribe. And everything is a test. Contemplate that while I go deal with these hiccups and uh, recharge the mental battery. And enjoy whatever song thingy I do. Okay, how do I stop this now? Hang on. It's like, hey, I don't know how to drive this car yet. <laughs> It's times like this. The great heaven knows that he wishes that we had not so many clothes. So let's loosen up to a playful tease like our good lovers have done through the centuries. I think I kind of ad-libbed the old Adam Ant lyrics there. That's okay. It's just a free-form jazz session is what it is. <laughs> All right, that was my music interlude. Did you like it? Recharge the battery. Got me a nice cup of coffee. Coffee is the only sustaining relationship I've been able to have throughout my life. <laughs> I've said that for years. I like it. It's funny. Right, I had something to tell you. Since we came back. Um, squirrel, what was it? It might have been back on the notes somewhere. Professional Dana started taking notes. Oh, ho, ho. Yeah, that's right, folks. I just don't do this stuff all... Hi- well, I actually do. Do it all just willy-nilly, higgly-piggly. Who? 
first I thought, where did all willy-nilly come from? I thoroughly enjoy contemplating things like that. For example, let me back up one. Let me back up from the willy-nilly to go back to the original where did this come from thought. <laughs> um, uh, my, my mom and I have traveled the country uh, a lot when I was a kid. Um, so I saw a lot of different culture, uh, which is kind of an awesome thing. The way I saw it wasn't exactly the most awesome, but, you know, childhood has its ups and downs and stuff. But um, where's I going with this? Oh, a majority of my family has come from Kentucky, and uh, they have that old Kentucky accent and different vernaculars. Well, in some parts of the South, like, uh, I think, Tennessee, um, I've been bouncing around too much to kind of get geography right anymore. But uh, the word, um, vittles, you don't hear it too much in the Midwest or anywhere else, but you do hear it in parts of Kentucky and uh, some parts of the South. Now, one day, I can't remember, I was cooking something uh, for Dawn, and she asked what it was. <laughs> I was like, fuck, I don't know, vittles? And then I thought about it. Who was the first person to throw some shit together. Oh, I hit my lamp. And somebody go, hey, what'd you fix me? And they go, well, that right there, that's vittles. <laughs> and, so, and the other person went, oh, yeah? Well, let me try <laughs> What'd you put in there? Oh, I put in some of this and this and this. And yeah, I'm going to call it vittles. <laughs> and the funny thing about the word vittles is it can mean anything. Like it could, you could fix something to eat in the morning, noon, night. Didn't didn't matter, and it was all sorts of different, different. <laughs> there's my redneck coming out. Different things, but the vittles. <laughs> and I started asking around people that I knew because that's what I do. I I just travel the country and sell my books and paintings and just start fucked up conversations like this where I'd look over at somebody and say the same thing I just did to you all or who was the first person to go battles <laughs> and everybody kind of was like yeah you're right well I never like looking up the original um thingy thingy's professional term remember folks um I kind of like just going with the storytelling and the mythology part and making shit up like you know hey Bob what'd you make me well, I made you vittles. <laughs> I don't, the word just makes me laugh. Uh, but my girlfriend, she does like looking that stuff up. And come to find out, actually, let me backtrack a little bit more. My best friend of all time, Horsecock McGillicuddy. Yeah, that's right, folks. That is his name, Horsecock McGillicuddy. Most people just call him Cuddy for obvious reasons. I uh, brought that, brought up the, uh, woo, where's I going with this? Shoo, me talk pretty one day. Oh, I brought up the Beatles concept. And Horsecock looked at me, and he's a man of big brain stature. He goes, well, you know, a lot of the old colonial, you know, the uh, Kentucky and, you know, eastern, southern, eastern uh, states, they still speak the old colonial, you know, because that's who came over here was the old, you know, 
colonial dudes and, you know, French and whatnot, and, well, they, they still speak it. I thought about that, and I was like, fuck, he's right. Um, and then Don looks up the uh, Vittles, and boy, I'm probably not getting the all the histor- historical stuff correct here, and she'll choke me, or somebody will message me and go, oh, excuse me, Dana, you did not, uh, we all know that this came from this. <laughs> but Vittles was, uh, I think, French, and it means uh, possum gut, or possum stomach, maybe that was it. Originally, uh, but over time, it just became the universal word for food, you know, like southern food. Is that right? Food? Something like that. Possum stomach. Vittles. I was like, well, I'll be damned. Now, where was I going with this? Um, yeah, so I did find out, but I still always mention the Vittles thing because it's fun. Vittles. One of these days when I start up my own little catering business as a hobby... I think I'm going to call it Dana's Beatles. Now, that led me to something else. What was it? Squirrel! Um, there was another one of those. Ah, uh, shit. Boy, I bet you all remember what I said in the beginning of this episode. That uh, I got sidetracked on trying to explain Beatles to y'all. Shit. Damn it, Jim. Oh, I can't remember. Maybe if I turn the canvas this way and think of something else. What was it? I wanted to, I really want to tell you that though. Um <laughs> You know what? I'll have to probably listen to the episode myself to remember. Oh well, we'll just keep moving forward. Um I do like the mythology things though. Um I guess I call them urban myths. Um not that Biddles is an urban myth. But just the story of where things come from like that. Um, for example, two of my favorite urban myths in Hollywood. Um, the band Stone Temple Pilots, uh, they're called STP a lot. Famous 90s band. I'm not sure if you youngins know who they are. Um, the myth is, and I haven't looked it up and I don't want to, that originally the band was called Shirley Temple's Pussy. And, you know, they'd play it in local bars and whatever. But the owner said, look, man, you can't, you, you, you can't put Shirley Temple's Pussy up on the marquee. So they'd put STP. And the record label came in and said the same thing, where they went, um, hey, you know what, you guys are awesome, blah, blah, we dig you, man, but uh, you can't call yourself Shirley Temple's Pussy. And the rumor is, I think, like Scott Wilde that time said, well, just call us Stone Temple Pilots, and the rest is history. Sorry, I mean, I got the hiccups. It's so unprofessional in a podcast. So sorry about that. I didn't mean to be that guy, but I am right now. My bad. Uh, and the other urban, I got lots of urban myths like that. But the other one I like to tell too is uh, the rumor was when Ben Affleck, Ben Affleck, he, Ben Affleck, and Matt Damon were trying to get the movie Goodwill Hunting uh, green lighted and whatnot, they sent it to many, many studios. And the studios would say, oh yeah, we read it, but we you know, blah, 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 blah. And so Matt Damon. And Ben Affleck <laughs> believed they weren't reading the script. So they put in a scene where all of a sudden the Robin Williams character just drops down and starts sucking the Matt Damon character's dick. And uh, they would start passing around to Hollywood, that scene especially, and all the big wigs would go, oh yeah, we love it, we love it, we'll get back to you, blah, 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 blah. Well, Kevin Smith was one of the dudes, I think, that was the producer of it or helped produce it. He reads the script and he really digs it. And... 
Matt and Ben Affleck forgot to take out the scene of the Robin Williams character sucking Matt Damon's character's dick. And Kevin Smith goes, man, it's a great movie, but all of a sudden there's this fucked up scene for no reason. <laughs> and they all laugh about it, you know, and that was the history of uh, Goodwill Hunting or something like that. I always dig those kind of stories, whether or not they're true. You know, it's the urban myth sometimes. It's more gooder. I can't even remember why I began this episode. How long have I been rambling? I don't know. Let's find out together. Oh, ten minutes. Oh, I felt like I've been talking for six hours. Maybe I have, and I just forgot to record it all. Well, this painting is coming along nicely. I'd love to describe it to you all, but it's an abstract painting. So it's like me mental masturbating on a canvas as I talk to you. And then I go out and sell these things. That's what I do. Dang it, I wish I could, re I wish I could remember what I was talking about in the beginning so I could tell you again. Oh, you know what? I'll tell you a story from the novel, uh, the most recent novel of mine. Time for a new sand and old hourglass. Uh, available on Amazon or through me. Shameless plug right there. Uh, at the end of the book, I wind up returning to my grandfather. He was a very, very colorful man. Um, deep Southern Kentucky man. He was in tobacco fields when he was a kid. Went to, when he was a teenager, went off the Korean War. And left uh, his arm, left butt cheek, and his, a lot of his mental capacity over in Korea. He had some serious PTSD. But he tried to deal with it the best he, you know, he could. And being a batshit eccentric like he was, he was quite colorful to learn life from. One of my favorite stories to tell is my first job. It was detasseling corn. For those of you that, oh, let me clean my, clean my brush here. Okay. For those of you that don't know about detasseling corn, let me give you a Cliff Notes version of this wonderful thing. Uh, you can only get junior high kids and high schoolers to do detasseling corn because it is a shitty job, but it needs to be done. You go through the field before the um, corn gets um, tall enough that it pollinates a certain way, and you pull out that tassel so that you can get another male plant and do that whole, you know, fertilization rodeo that way. Basically what you do is you walk up and down fields in a repetitive motion of pulling out the tassels through just shit. I mean, if it's hot, it doesn't matter. Raining, as long as it's not lightning, doesn't matter. Hot and raining, doesn't matter. You walk those fields because it's a very short window that this needs to get done. At the end of the summer, you actually get a pretty good paycheck for doing this horrible task. My first day there, I uh, wake up, hop on my moped, my grandfather packed me a lunch, and I set off into the field, and dear God, man, <laughs> I, I think I got halfway through the field and realized that we had to do this <laughs> for like nine more hours. <laughs> And I broke down mentally. My hands were bleeding. and I was 
my boots were so heavy, I lost them in the field. I was so short, the corn was smacking me in the face. I just fucking sucked, man. End of the day, I'm tired and bloody, and I hop on my moped, and I get back home. And Pop was sitting there waiting for me with the garden hose in his hand. I get off the moped, and I'm not trying, I'm trying like hell not to cry in front of him because his job was just so fucking horrible. But he looks at me and he goes, strip them down, put them on the nail. I was so tired, I didn't even care. The neighbors saw me naked and crawled out of the muddy clothes and put them on the uh, nail of the tree so Pop could hose them off. And he looks at me and says, tub's ready for you. Get up there, I'll see you in a second. I go climbing that bathtub and mud and blood come to the surface of the waters. I just start breaking down thinking, there's no way anybody's ever going to have to make me go back and do that again. It was just so fucking horrible. Like, ah, ah, ah. You know, like a teenage boy would do on his very first job. <laughs> and walks Pop. And uh, keep in mind again, Pop only has one arm. And, and, uh, and the good arm he has, he's holding a can of Mountain Dew. Pops that bad boy open. Um, hands it to me. Sits down on the edge of the tub. I sit there and take a big swig of the Mountain Dew and try to not cry in front of my grandfather because you don't want to do that. Pop looks at me and he uh, leans forward and he takes his hand and rubs his stump. And that's always a sign that he's going to say something really deep and philosophical. And he looks at me rubbing that stump and goes, Hoss, there's a reason why they call it work. And he leans forward a little bit more, and he goes, if you enjoyed it, it'd be called beating off. <laughs> now, that is kind of my grandfather's philosophy of life. He, <laughs> things like that. And I remember kind of sighing, and, you know, I didn't really get it at the time, but I, I kind of chuckled because it was popping, you know, and he broke the moment. And he looks at me, and he goes, now, I ain't going to say it's going to get better, because it ain't. But what's going to happen is you're going to get better at working at it. And he, and he goes, that's just the way it is, hoss. You got to fucking do it. Now, let me go back to the phrase of, there's a reason why they call it work. It took many, many years later, where I think, um, I was bartending. I love bartending. And I use the phrase, there's a reason why they call it, and then I'd insert whatever. But I remember I stopped one time right in the middle of a bartending shift and realized Pop was actually a deep Southern Kentucky kind of philosophical genius. Because no matter, think about this for a second, no matter how good you have your job, and no matter how much you love the job you're doing, or, you know, life is so great that, you know, you're, you have your ideal gig, Eventually, sooner or later, because you have to go to work, you're going to say, well, I guess I'll go to work. You know, we all do that. Yeah, we all do that. Now, think about this. When was the last time you looked at somebody and said, well, damn, I guess I'll go beat off. <laughs> You've never said that because you always look forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> and that was my grandfather's way of teaching. You know, 
when I was in junior high and high school, some of those lessons were embarrassing as all fucking get out. Um, for example, God, I I wanted to wrestle and had to have a jock strap for the damn wrestling. I was a tiny kid. I mean, you know, just tiny. So I I couldn't even find jeans that fucking fit me correctly, let alone a damn jock strap. And Pop, he did not venture to uh, the big city very often. When I say big city, it was Rushville, a small town. But uh, when it was desperate, oh shoot, that's too much red on my painting there. Damn it. Let me smooch that out there. Uh, Pop would go, we'd have to go to 3D, the local, like, I think Walmart at the time. And we're trying like hell to find me a damn jockstrap because I can't wrestle until I get a jockstrap. Well, two of the most embarrassing things, technically, of my life. <laughs> well, that week happened. And like the, it seems like the fucking blink of an eye. One, we could not find the damn sporting goods section or whatever the frick the damn jockstrap was. So my grandfather goes over to the microphone that the people that are working there use, and he presses the button and goes, Hey! We need help find the jockstrap! Yeah, that echoes through 3D. Lady that came up to help us, she was laughing. Oh, God, she was freaking laughing. And uh, Pop goes, Well, we need to get a pecker wrapper thingy from my, my grandson there so he can wrestle. Uh, you can guarantee by now that my shade of embarrassment was somewhere between the oh dear god slit my throat and let me crawl into a hole <laughs> and uh the lady bless her heart she looked at me and she just i don't think we can find your size young man and he i think my grandfather he made a joke about the pecker being small or something and uh, we uh we left the store <laughs> i'm having a flashback now cracking up at it we left the store i went to school the next day and we're in health class learning about eighth grade health class shit when uh the principal of the school who was a very good friend of my grandfather's comes to the door smiling a very not good but not bad smile on his face with a brown paper sack in his hand um, my first thought was, oh, God, something bad happened to Pop, because he, you know, tended to fall or, you know. His health was declining, so it happened a lot where Mr. Mr. Mitchell would come and let me know. This grin did not say that. I, this grin made me nervous. I get up and I walk to the door, and Mr. Mitchell just smiles at me, hands me the bag, and says, from your grandfather, have fun and walks away. Now I go back to my seat, and uh, now as you know, when something like this happens in class, every single person is staring at you. And uh, I, I kind of poke my nose in the bag, and then I take a big deep, deep, deep breath, look up at the teacher and kind of plead for her to start the class again. Please start the class again. Oh dear God, don't pay any attention to me. Well, the local bully, I can't remember his name at this time. I repressed him. Reached over, grabbed the paper sack, reached in and pulled out. That's right, folks. My jockstrap. <laughs> in health class. 
Ah, yes, God bless my grandfather. He was <laughs> notorious for things like that. Now I laugh about it, and actually, things like that really do. I know it's a cliche, but they really do build character. Because they kind of get you prepared for life. Because after a while, my grandfather's shit wouldn't even phase me, wouldn't embarrass me or anything. So later on in life, you know, I kind of had a tough skin, and, you know, when stupid shit would happen, I'd be like, this ain't nothing compared to what my grandfather fucking put me through. And I think that's a good thing. That eccentric, crazy bastard really did teach me a lot about life. And being batshit crazy and falling down rabbit holes and rambling like this to y'all. That's what I'm going to do. All right. Well, I've rambled enough, and I need to... Go refill my coffee. I'll catch you all on the flip side with more grandfather stories and more shit, whatever I can think of at the time. Remember, folks, always keep searching for the music between the music. And always, always keep searching for the notes between the notes. You'll find them. They're always there. Your vibe attracts your tribe. And everything is a test. All right. And cue really cool music thingy right here that I can't think of. Catch you all later.